0: Welcome to Crunching Tackles, where we break down the hardest-hitting social issues in sports. On today's show, we break down how age impacts sport performance. Why are so many athletes playing later into their careers than previously? Who are some of the best a- examples of athletes defying father time? My name is Chad Wiley, and with me to discuss all of this is John Neckersov. And, John, how are you this week? Well, Chad, on this
1: particular—it's uh, a, it's a Tuesday. I, th- I think it's a Tuesday. Isn't it Tuesday? It is Tuesday. Yeah. Um, in the time vortex that the past year has been, I'm doing pretty well. Our, uh, our country is in shambles and um, school is starting back up soon and vaccines are being distributed. And yeah, just life is just generally interesting right now. We're living through history as we speak. And as always, I'm just kind of generally tired. I am occasionally venturing on Twitter to attack one of your opinions and then retreating back into my cave to hide from the world for the rest of my time. So that's basically my existence currently. Just ready to start back up into school. Yeah, Aside a, from a week from
0: today, you'll be back in classes, right?
1: Yeah. Aside from bearing the brunt of my occasional displeasure with your opinions, how are you doing, Chad?
0: I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I, you know, for those of us who want a little preview, we are going to address a little bit about current social issues. Toward the end of our podcast in Var Corner, kinda of tied into sports a little bit, but beyond the you know, the the looming threats to our democracy and the <laughs> overall division that we're facing, life's been life's been pretty good for me. Uh Megan is showing me friends for the first time. And so I'm watching friends with her and watching lots of football and excited for the Tiger Woods documentary that's coming out soon. So we're just, you know, everything to me still feels fairly normal as you know, everything around us is burning. You know that you know that meme where the he's sitting there in the fire drinking coffee and he's like, It's fine. Of course. That's a lot like yeah, you know. That's I, me. I recognize that the fire is all around me, but it hasn't burned me yet. So <laughs> I'm just I'm just hanging out. <laughs> as long
1: as you close your eyes, you don't know it's there, right?
0: Yeah, John, I do have one one request for you though, because John, as many people who listen to this podcast may know, I am a man of faith. And I work for a faith-based organization. I have members of my family, including my parents, who listen to this podcast. And so I would just ask you to do me the favor of not bringing up any NFL teams that I support so that I don't use words that I'm going to regret later on.
1: Well, I can't guarantee that, given that we're discussing the NFL. You know, I think it would be a disservice to our general the the sense of unity on this podcast would be merely a false unity rather than a true unity as numerous writers have been saying about much more important issues across america right now um not to name any names and bring too much controversy to this podcast you know but (laughs) it seems like the argument applies here too that we'd be remiss to take such an important issue and just sweep it under the rug for the sake of your your feelings, because ultimately facts don't care about your feelings.
0: Okay, that that's fine. I I will have to. This will be a a lesson for me in terms of controlling my word choice, and that's that's important. It will be. All right.
1: And you're just you're gonna have to deal with the consequences. I'm quite, I'm I'm really quite sorry, but but John, you know, for,
0: fortunately for me, I only had to endure the hardship of being a Steelers fan for about 24 hours because. You know, after the, the Steelers-Browns game on Sunday night, we had an incredible college football national championship game on Monday night. That's and we did. I, I guess we both watched it bits and pieces. Might as well talk about it for just a couple minutes here. You know, the, the, that that there was no Heisman Trophy ceremony, but Devontae Smith's national championship performance in the first half was his Heisman Trophy ceremony. He had 215 yards and three touchdowns in the first half. He was literally unguardable.
1: Yeah, it was it was absurd. The the parts I watched of that game, I was just like, who put Ohio State in this championship game? Like like there was no there was no competition whatsoever. Well, everyone they, was like they
0: earned their right to be there. They yeah, but like in.
1: but you see you see in those moments how it seems like every year whoever wins the college football championship is like head and shoulders above everyone else. Yeah. Like it's felt like that for the past couple of years. Like there's no competition between like who is the best team and it does fluctuate, but whatever year we're in, there's no, like Notre Dame didn't lay a finger on Alabama. I don't think Clemson would have laid a finger on Alabama. Ohio state definitely did not lay a finger on Alabama last night.
0: Yeah. The closest, really the, the only close competition Alabama's faced all year was Ole Miss and Florida in the SEC Championship game, and even those were comfortable wins. You know, this is just one of those years where I've, I've seen people say, oh, Ohio State didn't deserve to be here, but my question to them would be, what other team would you do you think would do better? Because in my opinion, this Alabama team is the greatest offense in the history of college sports. They have the two best offensive playmakers in Najee Harris and Devontae Smith. They have a quarterback who can make every single throw in the book, and... Their offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkisian, is the most dynamic play caller in college football right now. Like, in my opinion, that was the most efficiently elite offense I've ever seen in college.
1: All I'm saying is match them up against the Liberty Flames and we'll oh. see who's boss.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: yes, we would. <laughs> not, not we, we really will see who's boss at that point. Yeah, <laughs> I'm hoping that doesn't happen for a long, long time.
0: But kind of lost under the radar of just Alabama. John, do you know that this is now, Nick Saban now has more national championships than any college football coach in history?
1: I honestly, every time I hear that, I'm surprised that he didn't already.
0: Yeah, he was tied with the other Alabama coach, Paul Bryant at six, and now he surpassed it. So yeah, that was a really, really enjoyable game. Nick Saban. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's pretty good. He He can coach anywhere.
1: Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, who we'll talk about later um alex ferguson pep guardiola maybe i mean like you have those coaches at the top of the game and nick saban is very much in that pantheon of just like permanent excellence
0: yeah he's elite he's elite john but you know college football is over now all eyes turn to the nfl and we're not going to specifically do game by game matchup but there was a really interesting trend that we saw that we kind of Mm want to highlight as the theme of this podcast and that is for the first time in nfl history Five quarterbacks who started in the playoffs were age 37 or older. Tom Brady of the Buccaneers is 43, Drew Brees of the Saints 41, Philip Rivers 39, Ben Roethlisberger 38, Aaron Rodgers is 37 years old. It's worth mentioning that another quarterback who led his team to the playoffs but did not start in the playoffs due to injury, Alex Smith is mm-hmm. 36, almost 37 but he did not actually play in the playoffs. So that would have been, if he had played, that would have been six quarterbacks over the age of 36. Mm -hmm. And that's a really interesting trend, John, because like I said, it is the first time in NFL history that that's happened, but it also speaks to what we've been seeing for years, really since the turn of the century, and that started with Brett Favre, that quarterbacks can play and play well much later into their careers than we would expect. We've seen Peyton Manning, win a super bowl late into his 30s we've seen tom brady win super bowls late into his 30s and into his 40s that's kind of new territory for this league isn't it
1: yeah i think what's interesting about this and we'll get into this uh, firstly is how sports kind of different sports environments can as sports change tactically can give older athletes the chance to succeed in ways that maybe they wouldn't have before which Uh, quarterbacks like tom brady have talked about recently i think one interesting trend this year in the nfl right we've talked a lot about like the rise of the mobile quarterback of the dual threat right people like patrick mahomes and lamar jackson who are kind of the the new crop of young quarterbacks are really fast they can move they can throw you know like they have a lot of potential while a lot of these quarterbacks are a little bit you know aaron Rodgers was pretty mobile. He's not so mobile anymore. But like, most of these quarterbacks are pretty, pretty static, like pocket passers. And that's really well suited for an older athlete who's starting to get a little slow, a little less agile. And so these what I find interesting about this, and we'll talk about this more, this trend is kind of like, each of these quarterbacks are resisting the kind of general tactical trend of the NFL of moving towards mobile quarterbacks, Tom Brady and Drew Brees literally just sit in the pocket and throw short passes for the majority of the time they play. And yet they're both leading their teams in the playoffs. And, I mean, Drew Brees could legitimately—honestly, both of them could legitimately win a Super Bowl. I don't think the Bucks would win it, but, like, it's conceivable, right? So it, it definitely is an interesting trend.
0: Yeah, it's also worth noting how these quarterbacks have adapted with their age. Because right. Drew Brees used to be a fairly mobile quarterback, not in the sense that he would run with the ball— but that he was elusive in the pocket and would use his legs to complete passes. And that was especially true of Ben Roethlisberger early in in the middle of his career. You know, he would would kind of linger in the pocket, he would shed a few tackles, he would scramble, and then he would throw. This year, Ben Roethlisberger led the league in uh, the fastest from snap to throw. It was just over two seconds from when he would Mm -hmm. receive the ball to when he would get the ball out of his hands. He completely changed the way he played the position in order to not have to stay in the pocket where his mobility was fading and not have to worry about avoiding pressure. Instead of, you know, knowing that that part of his game, his legs were gone due to his age, he decided to go a completely new direction with the way he uh, read plays and threw the ball. And his his change was that he was going to get the ball out of his hands before pressure could get to him. And... All five of these quarterbacks, in some ways, we've seen them make changes, with the exception of maybe Aaron Rodgers, who, while at age 37, still appears to be at least somewhat in his physical prime as well.
1: Hmm. I'd like to make two notes on what you said. First, being a relatively new NFL fan, I can't imagine Big Ben trying to run anywhere. That's just a, that's just an oh, idea yeah. that's very foreign to my oh, mind. Yeah. Like, I have to go watch highlights now because the idea of him moving— is incredibly foreign to me. The second thing is that we do need to talk about what what's sparked this conversation was, A, the success of some of these older athletes, and also the general failure of Big Ben Roethlisberger to shake off father time, mm-hmm. right? As we clearly saw in that game, right? He just, he was not up to the task. And you have to ask part of the question, right? I think that this podcast is asking is, you know at what point do you choose to retire i guess and is the time that some of these really good players like tom brady is it just that if you're really really good you can just play for longer or does a certain set of circumstances kind of provide a very specific few athletes to continue being successful into old age and why do some of them continue to play even when maybe we think that they shouldn't
0: yeah, um, no, that's yeah. exactly right, John. That seems like a that's an answer that we can't, you know, put a definite numerical number on. It, de- it depends on a lot of circumstances that, you know, when we start talking about the science, we're going to get into some of those things. You know, quarterbacks mm. have won Super Bowls much later in their careers than Ben Roethlisberger is right now. But he especially has been due to, uh, you know, an, an abundance of injuries. He, he missed all of last season with injury. And also, like like I said, the way he plays the game was more dependent on his athleticism, which I know may sound like an oxymoron to you, John. <laughs> but, like, when I think about Ben Roethlisberger, if you just say, who is Ben Roethlisberger? I imagine a guy who gets the snap and doesn't throw the ball for, like, seven seconds. And the linebackers come at him, and he literally just, like, shrugs the linebackers off of him runs out to one of the sides, and then throws a pass. Like, that is the Ben Roethlisberger I remember. And that is almost unrecognizable to the player that we're seeing right now.
1: See, I just kind of picture Big Ben as, like, a lineman who they're like, one day they were like, what if you just decide to – what if you be our quarterback in practice today? And then he was, like, kind of good. And they were like, oh, you should keep doing this. That's how I picture Big Ben.
0: Yeah. And, John – It's worth noting that while we're talking specifically about the nfl this trend is true in all sports as well Um, i have here a list from 2017 it's the average age of players in the four major leagues for major league baseball the average age was 29 for the national hockey league it was 27 national basketball association 26 and national football league also 26. now in two of those cases the almost universally considered best players in the league are older than the average age. Mm. In the NHL, Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin are both well into their 30s, well over age 27. In the NBA, LeBron James is 35 or 36 now. He's well, he's almost a decade older than the average player in the NBA. In the NFL, Patrick Mahomes, who's generally considered the best NFL player, is a little bit younger than the average age. And in Major League Baseball, Mike Trout is exactly at age 29. Which is the average age exactly, and so mm-hmm. it's interesting to see that in, a, in at least two of these cases, the best athletes are consistently, and by a lot, defying the odds when it comes to what what the average age of a player would be. You know, if you take the average, the better ones are usually on the on the older end of that average rather than on the younger end, and that that you know, we're going to talk about why, but just to kind of give a little tease for that. It's, in, it's been interesting for me to research how age can actually be a benefit to an athlete and not a curse. Mm-hmm. While you lose some of your physicality and your pure athleticism, the mental aspect of the game that you mature into as you get older is invaluable in terms of your production in your sport. And I think we're going to get into that a little bit more, John. But before we do that, we want to talk about a couple of players who really, really defied the odds and played well past any conceivable human being would be expected to do so. Do you wanna go first with your examples or do you want me to go first with mine, John? Feel free to go ahead. Okay, so I'll go ahead and do both of mine and then John, you can do both of yours. My first example is Satchel Paige, who was a pitcher for the Oakland Athletics at age 59. Now, the reason why I think Satchel Paige is really interesting is because and this kind of talks about our last podcast as well when we talked about the Negro League. But when the color barrier... Satchel Paige was an African-American player. And when the color barrier was broken, Satchel Paige was already 40 years old. That's so by, by most definitions, he would have completely missed his margin to play professional baseball. But he decided to play anyway. And in 179 big league games... All after he turned 42 years old, Page had 28 wins, 33 saves, and uh, an ERA just over three. He was named to two All-Star games after age 42. And he made his final, like I said, he made his final major league appearance at age 59. And he said, age is a question over, of mind over matter. If you don't mind it, it don't matter. And so I just think that's really, really interesting because he still is the oldest player to play in Major League Baseball. And I guess the reason why I find this so interesting is because the reason why his career was delayed was due to circumstances completely outside of his control. It was due to the color barrier. And rather than just say, oh, I missed my window, I'll never play in the Major Leagues, he still had a Major League career that spanned almost two decades, all starting after age 40. That's insane. Yeah, it's unbelievable. My second example is Gordy Howe. Now, Gordy Howe retired for the final time in 1980, and he was age 52. <laughs> and now you might be saying, oh, you know, he he kind of sat on the bench, he didn't really play in, in that season, but that is incorrect. Howe played every single regular season game for the then Hartford Whalers, now Carolina Hurricanes, in 1980. He scored 15 goals and had 26 assists in 80 games at age 52. He is the all-time leader in games played at almost 2,000 goals, 800 assists over 1,000, and points over almost 2,000. That is unbelievable, John, because I believe Gordie Howe not only played into his 50s, but he played on the same team with both of his sons on the Hartford Whalers.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah. That, so those are the, that I love. That. I yeah, love those that. are kind of my two examples of players who saw Father Time and said, mm-hmm. not today, sir. <laughs> you have been defied.
1: Oh, my goodness. See, my, my primary example here is basically, I don't know if we mentioned him in our Japan podcast, but he is basically the ultimate Japanese sportsman. And his name is Kazuyoshi Miura. And he is the... Oldest player to ever score in the Japanese league. The oldest player to ever play in the Japanese league. This man's appeared. He hasn't appeared very much recently. But he plays for Yokohama in the J League. And he is 54. Hmm. He's still currently playing. He made only four appearances last year. So he's kind of slowly being phased out. But this guy has been playing in the league. Basically, he played in Italy at one point. He played in Brazil. He like went soccer crazy according to the BBC, watching Pele when he was a little kid. And he was like, I want to be a soccer player. And, you know, back then, Japan didn't have a big uh, soccer league like we talked about in our episode. If you want to check that out, I forget the exact number, but we covered Japanese soccer uh, and Japanese baseball and all of the things. So make sure to go back and listen to the episode. But, I mean, he, this guy signed for Yokohama, the team he currently plays for, at age 35, about 20 years ago. And in 2016, at age 49, he appeared 20 times in the league, right? And soccer is an endurance-based sport. Soccer requires a lot of both fast twitch muscles Mm -hmm. and endurance, right? And this guy has just kept playing and playing and playing. And he is basically the ultimate Japanese superstar. He has been around in the Japanese league basically since he was formed in the 90s. He was like the poster child for the league starting, And like almost 30, 40 years later, he is still playing in the same league. And basically, even though at this point he's kind of past his peak, no one will cut him because it's like, he's just an icon of the league. Three to 4,000 more fans apparently show up every game that he plays. And so it's like a massive sponsorship thing. So he's almost like, he simultaneously was like a great of the game and still occasionally contributes. And also is sort of like, the mascot of the league i guess in a way and a mascot of the team and like they get crazy sponsorships and stuff but he has just he has kept playing and playing and every time people ask him like dude how do you keep going like what are you doing and he's just like i just love playing soccer he's like i don't want to ever stop and i just find that amazing and heartwarming and hilarious everyone loves him and it's not like he's like the peak of the sport of soccer or whatever like but he's just one of those people that, like, can you imagine as, like, a 25-year-old showing up on a field? You're like, I'm all cool and ready to go. And then, like, your your granddad shows up <laughs> on the field next to you and is like, what's up, son? <laughs> so that's what I like to imagine with all of these players, really. Kind of segueing into our science conversation, my other example is, I guess, a look at as games change, games like soccer change, like we said earlier with NFL quarterbacks, athletes have to adapt to even the greatest athletes. And few athletes demonstrate this, like the kind of tandem of Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi two athletes who basically through their combined talents in the twenty tens, in twenty tens and two thousands, changed soccer forever. Like they transformed the face of what we think soccer greatness is. Few people would argue that Ronaldo and Messi deserve to be in the like top echelon of the top four greatest soccer players of all time. Whether you think Messi is the greatest or Pele is the greatest or Mardana is the greatest or Ronaldo is the greatest, they are in your top echelon of the very best of the very best. Mm-hmm. But both of them, as they've gotten older, have aged in different ways. And I think it says a lot about kind of the ways that even the really good athletes sometimes don't age super well. And Ronaldo is an excellent example of, I think, of aging really, really well. Maybe one of the best-aged athletes that we've ever seen. Um, and that's because he... So much of his game, Messi is all about like just natural talent. He's just really, really good at soccer. He does crazy things with the ball. He just knows where to be. But Ronaldo has gotten where he is just by an insane training regimen he I don't know if you remember but like when he signed for Juventus the Spanish newspaper AS like got information on his like physical tests and he was 33 at the time and he had the body the average body of a 20 year old professional athlete hmm. when he signed for Juventus and so he's just kept himself in like peak physical shape like he has three percent lower body fat than most professional athletes as like someone who's now like 35. Yeah. But not only has he kept himself in physical shape, but he's adapted his game as he's gotten that tiny bit slower. He used to be a winger back when he was in Manchester United. He'd cut in, he'd just outrun people. And gradually he's slowly moved more and more to the center of the box um, and become basically just a center forward who just kind of sits in the box, makes some good runs, but relies a lot more on just being in the right place at the right time because he knows that he can't, outrun the very fastest young people anymore even though he's still faster than the average athlete by a considerable amount he just doesn't have that extra necessarily like bounce that he might have had before Mm. Messi on the other hand has had a lot of team problems that kind of has I guess clouded his success but he still has kind of tried to play in largely the same way that he did before right and I think you've you see that he hasn't necessarily reach the same heights that Ronaldo has in terms of success later in life, right? Ronaldo's won a lot more in terms of Champions League trophies recently, and is just generally on a more successful team right now. And I think that kind of highlights that like, the more we understand of kind of, I guess, aging science, the more you take advantage of that, and the more you're aware of those shifts in the modern world of sports science and of your own The way you need to adapt tactically, the more likely I think you are to end up being able to continue your career way past when you should.
0: Yeah, I think as we kind of transition into the science, there's there's really two parts to this. And part of it is science and technology that makes recovery and fatigue less of a factor, allowing Mm -hmm. athletes to play longer. But the second is and I think this one is more important is. Mental and strategic changes that athletes have to make to their performance as they get older. Right. Because, you know, John, the examples I gave, you know, of these guys in their 50s, the, they were not necessarily great players in their 50s. The fact that they were on a roster is a, is in and of itself a miraculous achievement for mm-hmm. their age. But they were not, you know, they were not the best of the best at that age. Players like Kobe Bryant, Vince Carter... They 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 played late into their careers, but Kobe won his last championship really early into his thirties. He was not winning in the decade before he retired. Right. But there are others who actually reach the height of their performance and the heights of, and win championships late into their careers. Tom Brady's done it. Rafael Nadal's done it. Still in tennis. Tiger Woods won a Masters in his for, uh, in his mid forties. Zlatan Ibrahimovic is still scoring goals and leading AC Milan to the uh, top of the Serie A table at age
1: 39. You had to bring him out, didn't you? Yeah, You're these just are fishing. yeah these are
0: people who who aren't just you know they're not just playing, but they're making key contributions mm. for championship teams or championship right. caliber teams, and that's kind of a different conversation because. If you're 41 or 42 years old and you're playing quarterback and you're just a guy, like I believe Ben Roethlisberger is, that's different than if you're 41 or 42 and people are still saying, oh, is he elite? Like people are wondering about Tom Brady.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, that, that's an important point. Like Tom Brady, we're still asking, you know, does he have what it takes to win a Super Bowl? Like that's a big, that's a big question. He, he is, Patrick Mahomes, as we talked about, is incredible. But, like, imagine Tom Brady beating Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. Like, that would be crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it would. It would be really crazy, John. And so, I guess, let's talk about what in science and what is necessary for a player to physically be able to play late in their careers. And I Mm -hmm. think you've put in all caps, avoid injuries. So, why don't you go ahead and talk about just how vital that is, even as modern medicine is increasing and you can heal and recover from injuries. Why is a little bit of luck in terms of how healthy you remain a factor in this conversation?
1: Yeah, injuries are basically, in all the research I've done, essentially what happens is injuries are the thing that ultimately break down an older athlete because you you get to a point where you can't recover fast enough from your injuries for it to be worthwhile to continue trying to play because you start to get brittle, your muscles start to decay more, and like according to an article from The Verge, you're, as your kind of your power muscles decrease in strength, like your endurance muscles may stay for a while, but your power muscles will start to decrease. And if you start getting injured more and more, just that decay is just going to increase rapidly. And so you see it pretty clearly, right, that positions where you're less prone to have contact and positions that you're less prone to have injuries mean that you can play for a lot longer, right? Mm-hmm. So goalkeepers in soccer, think of Gigi Buffon right now, who's like 42, a good friend of the podcast. Dr. Chris Underation mentioned Peter Shilton, who played until he was almost 50 as a goalie in English soccer throughout the like latter half of the uh, 20th century. So goalies, quarterbacks, obviously, especially as the game has been changing and the NFL has been protecting quarterbacks more, you see less big hits on quarterbacks. And as a result, these quarterbacks are less prone to injuries and as a result, you see the ones that are better with injuries play for a lot longer. While someone like Ben, who has gotten a lot of injuries, mm-hmm. is already fading very quickly, even though he was really good before. So injuries are the first big thing. And like sadly, it, there is a lot of luck there. That's just like, if you start getting injured, or if you're particularly injury prone, you probably will not do very well. Um, but another thing that's kind of interesting that I read came up in an article in The Conversation. He's talking about this sweet spot between experience on the one hand and physical strength on the other, which is kind of what you were referring to a little bit about how there's a point where your maximal physical strength meets your maximal mental fortitude, dude, basically. And you basically reach the... That's the actual peak of your career. And I think we Mm -hmm. see people like LeBron somewhere in that realm like I don't think from what I've seen LeBron's quite in decline yet like he is a good he is a great athlete still yeah. at age 35 36 yeah. and so like as you're aging you're basically your, your maximal lung capacity and your ability to process like air and bring oxygen to your muscles starts decreasing even like after the age of 30 and so that's what you see a lot of athletes start to struggle with is you just can't produce like the physical effort as well, right? Yeah. So the balance between experience, and that slow decline in basically physical capacity becomes super important.
0: Yeah, one more point about the injuries. You know, part of it is luck, you know, staying healthy as a matter of luck to it. And part of it is strategic in terms of what position a person plays. So we've talked about quarterbacks who have stayed healthy, and play late into their careers. You know, kickers Mm -hmm. can kick into their 40s. And, you know, goalies in soccer, they they would have less injuries. But, you know, we we really should be talking about some of the remarkable athletes like Frank... And I'll just use the NFL as an example. Frank Gore, who just finished another season at running back at age 37. Or James Harrison, who retired from the defensive line at age 39. Mm
1: -hmm. Players
0: like that who are continually you know, in the trenches of a brutally combatic sport and are sustaining blows essentially every single time that they're on the field, the fact that they can play late into their 30s is much more remarkable than a quarterback who might get hit, you know, on a bad day. They might get hit five times during a game. But, John, I think where you kind of ended us is kind of where we want to end, and that's talking about the mental stuff. Mm -hmm. We talked about it with Ben Ralthusperger the way he's completely changed his game as he's gotten older. We, you mentioned it with Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, he recognized that his speed was slowing, and so he, he adapted his game to that. There's a guy who wrote a book called Play On. His name is Jeff Bersavici, and he kind of talks about the age of athletes. And what he says is that it actually makes sense why older athletes are better. The advantages that you gain from experience and maturity are so great That if you can push back physical decline from the equation it makes sense that the best players are going to be 35 or 40 and he says I think that's going to be more widespread and we're in for a lot more 35 and 40 year old world champions and that's kind of what you mentioned not just the ability to recognize when your physical decline has started and adapting your game but if you can delay your physical decline then just having the experience the maturity The extra repetitions makes you so much more mentally strong that you essentially have, at age thirty, the the physicality of someone who's twenty five, and you add on five more years of experience, five Mm. more years of having seen everything, five more years of strategy sessions and training, and so as it's kind of it kind of goes hand in hand, and to be a successful older athlete, you have to have both. You have to have the science and the medicine to help your. Uh, physical decline slowdown, and you have to have a mindset that's always wanting to mature and look for ways to be better. And when you combine those two, you end up with the best player in the world.
1: Yeah, and I think that's kind of wrapping this conversation up, I think we can come back to Tom Brady because I think maybe what this shows us a little bit is that ultimately the athletes who base their game more off their mental fortitude, and playing smart age better than the ones who rely on physical talent and speed and agility you see someone like tom brady who has always been you know he's never been a freak athlete he's never been someone who you're like this guy is the most has the best arm in the nfl or is the fastest quarterback in the nfl but what we've always said about tom brady is that this guy knows how to play in a system he knows how to play smart he picks his passes and he comes up big in the clutch moments and that clutch gene if you will that we've talked about before doesn't necessarily go away when you get old right Mm -hmm. your mentality even if your body starts to go a little bit if your mentality is still sharp you can keep performing if you've built a career around playing sharp to begin with um so i think that's just kind of an interesting final point to make that um And it will be interesting to see if one of these older quarterbacks can pull it off this year. A lot of people are billing the Saints to win. That would be fascinating. You know, I'd love to see a Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes matchup in the Super Bowl. But I guess we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, as we get into the playoffs, I've I've said this a lot. I'm going to say it again. I am hoping and praying that the Super Bowl is the Chiefs and the Packers. Because I believe that Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers are the two best quarterbacks I've ever seen with my two eyeballs, mm-hmm. and having them play each other in the Super Bowl, I think would be the game that everyone deserves. I think it's, it's a game. It, I think it would be an electric, electric game. John, we'll have plenty more time to talk about the Super Bowl as, as, as that game gets closer, all the festivities and the interest surrounding that game, in addition to other sports starting back up. I believe that pitchers and catchers report to Major League Baseball spring training in just a few weeks and that's always an encouraging time. Isn't it? I'm so excited. Yeah, you should be, you really should be. (laughs) But guys, we're not going anywhere just yet because we are back with VAR Corner and you guys are not gonna wanna miss what John and I have to say, so stay tuned for that. And we are back with VAR Corner, where we're handing out some clear and obvious errors or observations this week. John, I think mine's going to take a little bit more time and a little bit more serious thought. So why don't you go ahead and go first, and then we can wrap up with mine.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, my, Not, to, not thought, to
0: dismiss or diminish yours, but yours is just much more lighthearted.
1: It is. And it's just a tiny thought, really. i just like to give a brief shout-out to the NFL for choosing to broadcast the uh, Bears-Saints playoff game on Nickelodeon. I did not watch that game, but I've seen some images and some highlight reels, including the slime cannons that were not actually there, but on the TV broadcast were shooting SpongeBob slime onto the uh, football field every time a touchdown was scored. Yeah, I mean, people were compared to uh, SpongeBob and Patrick on the uh, on the broadcast as if that was some kind of important, relevant thing. And it was just all incredibly absurd and ridiculous. And if you look it up, I mean, they pulled out all the stops to make this feel like a Nickelodeon kids show in the NFL. And there are a lot of people who are like, "Eh, I don't know how I feel about this. This is weird. But there are articles in both the New York Times and Sports Illustrated talking about, you know, maybe this is what the sport of football needs. Maybe people need to be a little bit more lighthearted, stop complaining about, pi being like the worst thing in the world to happen when you're just trying to have fun with a game of football you're like pi and it's like the world is ending i didn't get my pi call who knows maybe nickelodeon broadcasts will remove the toxic nature of football just a little bit and sports in general but it was ridiculous and regardless of whether you think it's a disgrace to the game of football or not it's an interesting thing to see occur
0: no, I thought that the, the broadcast itself was actually rather delightful. What My only issue, and what I believe is an actual disgrace to football, is the lack of NFL education that our children have received, because mm-hmm. there was a fan vote among people who are watching this on Nickelodeon to vote for the <laughs> MVP, the Nickelodeon valuable player of the game, mm-hmm. and by like a wide margin it was given to bears quarterback the losing quarterback <laughs> mitch, mitch trubisky who threw one touchdown in garbage time as time expired already down by 20 points and so i i guess my issue is I'm, I'm concerned for the next generation of football fans and the way that they view the game and what they deem to be good and bad play mm. because that was very disappointing The lack of NFL civics education that our children are (laughs) receiving is frightening.
1: No, I understand entirely. I think the one point that I thought was made by these articles, I thought was interesting and kind of wraps up this this little topic, side topic, is that, you know, the NFL is losing numbers. Well, the sport of football is losing numbers among kids, right? Mm -hmm. Parents aren't letting their kids play football. Kids are picking up sports like basketball and soccer, football needs to invest in younger generations. And maybe this Nickelodeon play is an attempt to do that, to think strategically, playing fo- the NFL is playing 4D chess with SpongeBob SquarePants football. And all I'm saying is, if there was a game in the future where we made quarterbacks dress up as SpongeBob and try to play football, I would not be angry.
0: Oh, no, I'd accept that.
1: That's my final thought of the day. <laughs>
0: John, on a little bit more of a serious note, as we mentioned from the top, if, if you're living under a rock and don't understand what's been going on in our country, there was an existential threat on our democracy. There was rioting. There was an insurrection in the United States Capitol that uh, a large bipartisan coalition are blaming on the president of the United States. And in the wake of that, the president announced that he was going to invite Bill Belichick, the coach of the New England Patriots, to the White House to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom. The Presidential Medal of Freedom is the highest-ranking award given to civilians in the United States. The official definition of what it is given for, according to Wikipedia, the Presidential Medal of Freedom is an award bestowed by the President to recognize people who have made an especially meritorious contribution to the security or national interest of the United States, world peace, cultural, or other significant public or private endeavors. Now, there is a long lineage of athletes and athletic figures receiving this award. George W. Bush gave it to Arthur Ashe posthumously. He gave it to Hank Aaron. He gave it to Muhammad Ali. Barack Obama gave it to Dean Smith, the coach of the North Carolina. He gave it to Michael Jordan. And... Donald Trump has given it to people like Tiger Woods, Mariana Rivera, and he gave a posthumous Presidential Medal of Freedom to Babe Ruth. And now he has extended the invitation to Bill Belichick to receive the same award, and Bill Belichick said no. As he viewed the cultural significance of this moment and the uh, message that he would be sending by accepting this award, what Bill Belichick said was essentially, He said, I was offered the opportunity to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which I was flattered by out of respect for what the honor represents. Subsequently, the tragic events of last week occurred and the decision has been made not to move forward with the award. Above all, I am an American citizen with great reverence for our nation's values, freedom and democracy. And John, I just kind of I feel bad for Bill Belichick, which is not something I say often, because this is an incredible honor. And I I can't imagine how hard it would be to say no to it. You know, this is an award that is a vital part of his legacy for the rest of his life. You know, when the generations will look back on Bill Belichick, they won't remember who gave him the Presidential Medal of Freedom, but they'll remember that he got one. You know, that's a big deal. And for him to say no speaks to, one, just how divided we are as a country right now, that 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 something like this could be deemed in the way that it would. And, you know the way that people are so worried of giving any validation to this president who's deemed to have incited a violent insurrection on the United States Capitol. But two, my hope is that if and I'm going to say I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to say when when the climate of American political discourse has cooled and we are back to a more unified, hopeful nation, my hope is that the next administration will extend the same invitation to Bill Belichick and that he could accept the Presidential Medal of Freedom at a later time. Not because I think he deserves it, because I think he's a cheater, but because he's been offered it and I think he made a courageous and difficult decision to say no. And I hope that the next administration will look at that and decide to right the wrong and give the same invitation to him that he can accept.
1: All I'm saying is, does Bill Belichick really deserve the Presidential Medal of Freedom after holding the Super Bowl in bondage for so many years.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's exactly why he's getting it, if we're being honest
1: here, John. I know, but any self-respecting administration would know the people don't want Bill Belichick to have this award. We all hate Bill Belichick.
0: I mean, the award's not given to mediocre coaches. (laughs) That's true. My issue with Bill Belichick is if he's proven to be like a cheater... Like, if it's proven that he like deflated footballs and like spied on other teams, my, I, have a, I might have an issue with him receiving the award on principle. <laughs> and I also don't believe that Donald Trump's motives in uh, in giving it to him were particularly uh, based on his merit either, as opposed to their longtime friendship. But I would say that you know now that the offer has been extended and I believe that he's done the right thing uh-huh. by declining, I hope that he'll have the chance to accept it at a later date, John. I don't know if we want to make any larger comments about the state of our democracy or or just keep it tied to sports as close as we can. But it took a lot of courage to do what he did. And I think, you know, at, at this time, the optics of him being there with Donald Trump, in some ways validating Donald Trump's presidency in that way, would have sent just a really bad, a really bad message to America. It certainly would have sent a bad message in his locker room. And I'm, I'm sure he was aware of that when he made his decision.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not going to like jump too far out of the sports realm here. But I will say, I mean, we're, we're at a point in our country, right, where everything is impacted by politics, whether you're church service or the sports games you're watching. Right. And I think what is abundantly clear in the social issues we're touching on is that the longer things go down this road, the more difficult it will be to separate decisions like this from the political climate of our country. And I think who knows what the next four years are going to bring. They could bring some healing in terms of our sports culture, or we could see things get a whole lot worse as people who disagree with each other on the football field may start, you know, like bad mouthing each other and teams may start fracturing. I mean, there's been there was all kinds of talks during the throughout the Trump administration of professional athletes getting frustrated with each other about political beliefs. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's going to get any better. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm hopeful that we will unify more as a country as time goes on. But questions like this are not going to go away, I'm pretty sure.
0: Yeah, I think it took about it took about 15 minutes on, on Saturday night for Taylor Henneke, who stepped in as quarterback of the Washington football team against the Buccaneers, to have... Mm-hmm. You know, tweets of his dug up that were pretty, you know, scandalous and, you know, would have caused an issue in the locker room. And, you know, that's that's kind of when you get a new figure in sports, that's kind of the first thing people go looking for Mm. is tweets or something that they could be canceled or torn down over. Yeah, I, I think I share your I don't know if you would describe yourself as hopefully optimistic certainly the hope is not lost entirely we know what cautiously
1: optimistic is much more safe
0: yeah we know what this country can be yeah we know what it has been and we want it to return to that and you know my my hope and my prayer for this country is that in whatever way that sports can play a role that it does but really just Mm -hmm. all people just as people start viewing each other and their own humanity as more important than issues or policy differences, because policy differences have been an important and vibrant part of our country for a long time. But it's when we start viewing those who disagree with us as our enemies, that the true damage to our democracy is done. And if that damage continues, it will end up being irreversible. And that's the worst case scenario for America.
1: Yeah. So there's there's our, our little little mini political points for the day.
0: Hope you're not too glum. No, John, I want to end on a little bit happier note, at least happy for me. Next week, I am committing to using my VAR Corner to review the Tiger HBO documentary. Part one is out. (laughs) I'm saving my thoughts until both parts are released. But on the next podcast, if you would like to watch Tiger with me, John, I'm challenging (laughs) you to watch it. I'm challenging everyone else to watch it. It will be discussed in its entirety. And I am super excited. So that is my VAR Corner announcement for next week. John and I are debating right now if there's... Not debating, but discussing. If we're going to try to pick up a new show to continue the the Mando conversation. Or if we're going to go back to a more mm-hmm. traditional VAR Corner. We'll, we'll kind of be making that decision over the next couple weeks. If there is a sports-related or just imp- fun cultural show that you all are interested in. That you would like us to incorporate five or, five or so minutes of this podcast into. Let us know. I'm tuned in to... WandaVision that's coming out this friday in addition to mm-hmm. all the good sports documentaries like tiger that are coming out and there's there's going to be plenty of good content maybe uh my, my hope is that john we could talk about season two of ted lasso when that comes out because that is an incredible show and that would deserve an entire sports segment all to the exciting. tragic
1: thing is i don't have apple tv so mm. i still haven't finished
0: it okay maybe so i so need to you borrow mine
1: yeah, my uh, my friends in my dorm have Apple TV, so I'll okay. probably watch it when I get back. But okay, I still haven't seen it. So. Good, good. Yes.
0: Well, yeah. Let us know, guys, if there's anything that you would like us to discuss, be it sports, be it political, be it cultural issues that we can incorporate either into our var corner or as a podcast topic as a whole. Yeah, we're I mean we have
1: good. no focus. So well, we, we had a focus. We were
0: traveling the world, and now we're back to this our. Tra- <laughs> now we're back to just you know talking about things, which is either more or less interesting depending on your preference, <laughs> but. Yeah, guys, make sure to let us know what you think. If you have any, John put out a call earlier this week, but if you have any interesting sports stories that involve the longevity of an athlete's career or someone who did something really remarkable really late into their lives, let us know. We would love to hear those and highlight one or two of those on next week's show as well. If there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, let us know. As always, make sure to give us a rating and a review so that we can be reached by more people and subscribe to us as well. Um, wish John a happy. Trip back to Liberty University, and that he stays COVID free. That no one else brings COVID back into his life. And other than that, John, do you have anything to uh, say to the people? Is it go Browns, John? Honestly, at this point, hop back on the bandwagon, John. You I'll just will hop ha- back, I'll, I'll help back on. You haven't been off it for very long. It's true. This is true.
1: I would like my final thought for the day is I am I am absolutely. I don't regret my decision to go with my home team because I have very little actual emotional connection to the Browns. I don't love them in my soul, and it just—it wasn't right. I can't just take over a fandom just out of spite for the world of American sports. So I I've, I've made the right decision, but it hurts me every moment that I think about the fact that on Sunday, I could have ground Chad's face into the dirt over and over and over again. It held it over him forever. A playoff win in the Browns' first playoff appearance in 16 years over his beloved Steelers. He would never have recovered. And so I can still grind his face it a little bit, but you know it's it's not the same.
0: That's my regret for this week. And with that, this has been Crunching Tackles. We'll talk to you guys later. Cheers guys.